Welcome to Inder and Ish, where we're turning our internal monologues into dialogue. I'm Inder. This is Ish. And welcome. Um, so this week, actually, hey Ish, how are you? I'm I'm splendid. How are you, Inder? I'm good. I'm really good, actually. Um, for anybody tuning in for the first time, we are friends that live on different sides of the world. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm based out of Sydney, Australia, and Ish, you are from. West Hartford, Connecticut, which is AKA West Bumblefuck. <laughs> Nobody knows where it is. <laughs> it's north. Is it north of New York? That's all you need to say. <laughs> it's, it's north of New York, two hours north of New York. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, yeah, so when Ish and I dial in for these calls, it's often been like a week or so of uh, we have like our weekly sort of call where we get into these episodes. So, yeah, we, we this is when we touch base and, um, but yeah, so I'm glad you're doing well. <laughs> Small talk. <laughs> how are how are you? Yeah, good, good. It's you know one of those weeks as per usual. Um, lots of interest. How does it feel to have the view of the beach all the time and sunshine <laughs> just you know pouring on you at all times? There's a little bit of cloud cover today. <laughs> Ooh, so sad. <laughs> the world's smallest violin is playing uh, for you I, right I, now. <laughs> Sad hearts. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, no, I, I mean, I'm not complaining. I can't complain. So, I mean, having said that, having not complaining, this week we want to talk about something a little bit heavy because, you know, as great as our bubble, your individual bubbles can be, and as great as life can be, sometimes we're confronted with things that have nothing to do with us, but, um, you know, we we have this moral obligation as citizens. So apologies from the get-go for being so heavy into this. But as we had said in our intro, we want to keep it very real and very relevant to what we're experiencing at the, at the moment that we are recording this. Um, so heads up to, we're going to share some stories with you guys because we're going to chat about the bystander effect. Um, we're going to chat about what it is, uh, share some of our experiences and how we can actively kind of combat the bystander effect um, in each of our individual lives. Uh, Heads up to anybody, we are going to be sharing some stories that are going to be a little bit of the sensitive nature. Um, So yeah, if, (laughs) I don't know, what else do we say here? Hashtag trigger warnings, you know? Yes, that's perfect. Great. Um, So bystander effect. I had something happen a few weeks back and I remember because if y'all don't know, Ishbreet's got a psychology degree. So I was telling her this story of what had happened and she's like, yeah, the bystander effect. And obviously I immediately went and Googled it and I was like, holy shit, this is like a thing. This is this is something that I was so unaware of. Um, And uh, I think everybody should be aware of it because that's the first step to breaking this cycle. So what is a bystander effect, Ishbreet? Do we kind of want to give everyone a little bit of a breakdown before we get into our stories? Sure. Um, basically, the bystander effect is a social psychological phenomenon um, where individuals are less likely to offer help to a victim when other people are present. So um, there are a lot of factors that contribute to the bystander effect and um why one may or may not step in to help somebody. So um, there might just be some confusion as to who is going to step in to um, to help out in the situation. Um, there are other factors like 
how will this situation affect me if I do step in to help out? Um, will I be in danger? Will this cost me a lot of money? Will my loved ones be in harm's way? Will I be in harm's way? Um, and, uh, yeah. So, um, the bystander effect is, is basically this, this social psychological phenomenon where it happens to, I think just about anyone and everyone and, um, how we react to the bystander effect is very telling of, of how we are as humans and, um, yeah, I guess how we carry ourselves in our day-to-day lives. Exactly. I think the two most important sort of takeaways when I was researching, along with everything that you've said there was summarized, it was um, the, the two main factors are uh, it's it's attributed to one, the diffusion of responsibility and two is uh, social influence. So individuals in a group monitor the behavior of those around them to determine how they should act. Um, and exactly. if they and and. By everybody doing that, as a result, nobody is doing anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that's in a nutshell what the bystander effect is. And when I kind of read this, it blew my mind a little bit because um because I was like, ah, oh, wait, what? You know, like we we've all been in very uncomfortable situations or witnessed something, and where you know we thought about it for a little while, and we just thought it wasn't my place, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to share an instance which uh, I was just mentioning to Ishri before we jumped onto this call about how something that still haunts me, and we've been talking about the bystander effect, and. And uh, I just said to her, I want to share a time when I didn't do anything because I just drove past that area where this had happened yesterday. And this was eight years ago. And it all came right back to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that time you were an asshole and didn't do anything. (laughs) You know, know, like it's stuck eight years on. Every time I drive past there, I'm like, oh, my God, I should have said something. So what had happened was it's it was a bit of a sketchy part of town. It's just outside of downtown um, in the city of Sydney. And uh, we're standing at an intersection. And this guy who would have been off on something, off his head on something or another, it was the middle of the day. I mean, it was like probably 12 or one o'clock. And we were standing in an intersection. And there was this, uh, he was talking to himself and he's coming in the opposite direction. And he walks past and I don't know what was on his hand. I actually think it was blood or it may have been ketchup. I don't know one of the two. <laughs> but he was just crazy saying something and this girl in a business suit completely composed is just standing there with this like you know slick back blonde hair and a tiny little bun you know so like cookie cutter business appropriate and he puts his bloody thumb onto her face and walks off and and she was just like what and I remember this one girl, she was like younger and she's like, what was that? And she like, and this other guy kind of like went after him a little bit, but then he was like, wh- you know, he was, he was off on his head doing something or another. We don't know what he was on, but I remember just seeing this all unfold and not even pausing to ask this girl if she was okay, you know, which was clearly like, imagine some crazy person like putting blood on your face in the middle of the day. It's really full on. <laughs> And you just walked past. And you just walked past her. You were just like, okay, cool. Well, the, the walking man came, so I crossed the road. <laughs> so, 
such an asshole. You're like, I got places to be, people to see. Good oh, luck I... with that ketchup on your face, sweetie. Well, I mean, I'm hoping it was ketchup, but I'm pretty sure it was blood because he was like all sorts of raggedy and on something, you know? But like, it's still, it's so vivid. It, this would have been eight or nine years ago. And I just yesterday drove past the, the area and I was like, oh my God, I'm such a jerk. I'm like trying to be so like self-righteous. We should talk about the bystander and how you should do the right thing and blah, blah, blah. Yet like I was that asshole that did nothing. You know? so. Listen, it happened like nearly a decade ago and you're clearly a very good human being for... <laughs> Uh, still thinking about it nearly a decade later. So, um, I'm going to forgive you on behalf of the universe. Thanks. I feel much better now. A weight has been lifted up. I can now drive on Cleveland Street (laughs) past the Crown Street (laughs) intersection and be okay with myself. (laughs) Um, You have been forgiven. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, babe. Um, but yeah, guys, like it, it happens to all of us, doesn't it? Like you you have these situations where you think about it for it kind of shakes you to a different level, like at some sort of level, big or small. You know, we're obviously laughing about it now, which, you know, like it's so long ago. Um, right. But but we all I feel like in every sort of those instances, you think, oh, it wasn't my place to say anything or, so you know, somebody else would have or maybe they knew each other. You know, <laughs> like. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't know. The likelihood of that is no. like zero to none. And absolutely. I, I wasn't even there. So, no, absolutely. No. So, I, I just wanted to start off by sharing that story because. Uh, I've been thinking about this episode, you know, when we, when Ish and I have a chat about what, what our next episode's going to be, we kind of like let it mull, you know, we mull it over, we let it kind of simmer throughout the week so we can gather our thoughts or whatnot. And so throughout the week, and I'm like, I don't want to come off in this episode like we're trying to be so self-righteous and be like, oh, we're such good people. We're sharing these stories of times we did such good things. That's So please don't mistake this as us trying to like pump ourselves up in any way whatsoever. We're just trying to share this uncomfortable situations with you. So hopefully you can use that as some sort of like inspiration maybe to give you some courage when you're faced with it um so uh do you want me to start off with my example first or do you want to get into it ish um well i i guess i'll briefly share my example and then you can get into yours um let's see so an example of the bystander effect that i've experienced was um well first of all it happens i feel like almost all the time with um, humans in our day-to-day lives. I think that there's, um, an experience of some sort or another that comes up daily where I'm sure we can intervene and aid in, uh, the situation a little bit. But one that really sticks, sticked out with me, um, recently was around Christmas time. There's this thing that goes on in Manhattan, New York called SantaCon, where basically um, people dress up as Santa Claus, Mrs. Claus, Rudolph, um, elves, what have you. And they basically go bar hopping in Manhattan. And it's supposed to be this like, you know, fun um, day bar hopping thing that goes on, um, I think, in just downtown Manhattan. 
So anyways, um, my friend Brittany and I were there doing some work and um, we weren't there for SantaCon, but okay, we... what, work, <laughs> what work were you doing? <laughs> Not SantaCon work. <laughs> Elaborate. Not joking. <laughs> Not There's Santa lots Con. of bar hopping involved, but yeah. we were not there. We were, there we, were we, we were just kind of like in the middle of it, but not really in the middle of it. In the proximity. <laughs> gotcha. So that day, uh, there happened to be this like major blizzard that was going on. And Brittany and I were just hungry, wanted some lunch. Nothing was delivering um, and anything that was delivering was like, you know, we're going to be like a couple of hours. So you were we would just we were just like, you know, we'll just walk the eight blocks. It's not a big deal. So we walk eight blocks to the restaurant where we ordered our lunch from. And when we got there, there was this young, beautiful girl outside of the restaurant dressed like um, a very. uh how to say this nicely, <laughs> um, I guess ready to party and get down, Mrs. Claus. She's a hoe. She's ready for a good time. <laughs> and the poor thing just didn't have a jacket on. There is this blizzard going on in New York. She's standing oh outside. God bawling she's distressed very clearly distressed and there are hundreds and hundreds of people walking right past her um you know everyone's kind of like in their zone with santa con um there are people who are just trying to walk past the santa Conners because you know they're trying to get back to their apartments in the middle of this blizzard whatever but for whatever reason i i noticed that nobody was stopping to help this girl out uh, my friend Brittany and I were about to walk into this restaurant and I see this girl and I was like, uh, well, I, I'm just that type of person where I'm not even trying to like toot my own horn. I'm sort of reckless, but um, I just I have to step in when it comes to shit like this. Mm -hmm. I, I have to see it through and make sure that the person's OK. I think I get it from um, my dad. He's also just yeah. like crazy like that. So I stop her and I was like I literally grabbed her by the shoulders and I was like, hey what's going on? You're crying. Is everything okay? What can I do to help you? And she just explained, Hey, you know, I was enjoying myself during Santa con. I had, um, a couple drinks too many. I'm just trying to get back to my apartment. The Ubers are all, um, backed up because of the traffic jam because of the blizzard and it just being New York. And I'm just trying to get back to my apartment so, um, yeah, there was just this girl who um, was in this simple situation where um, I feel, um, you know, a lot of people experience this where they're, they're just inebriated where AKA, um, you know, they've had one too many drinks and they're trying to get back home. And this girl was um, no different than what a lot of us experience and just needed a little bit of help. And all it took was one person stopping by and being like, Hey, are you okay? And how can I help you? And, um, it saved the day for her. And it's just such a minor act of kindness. Absolutely. Kind of, like, you know, boggled my mind that so many people were just walking past her and didn't even, uh, stop to think that maybe she needed help. 
Agreed, because it didn't really, at the end of the day, did it really affect your day all that much? Um, oh. Like, it didn't, it, you know, impose on your sort of lunch expedition? <laughs> Absolutely not. It literally might have, t- it, it took 15 minutes out of my day. Yeah, agreed. And and it's like, if we all just start looking out for each other, for the tiniest of things, or just being like aware of when somebody's clearly in distress, it can it sort of just help the situation a little bit rather than her ending up in a really horrible situation. She could have got pneumonia, blah, blah, et cetera. You know, it could have been much, much worse where all you had to do was hail down a cab for her and just like help her get it together, you know? Um, exactly. Get her yeah. a bagel, you know, some water. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so let's get into my examples a little bit, which are a little bit more intense. Um, I think because like, I, I live in Sydney and Sydney by comparison to New York is um, very mellow. <laughs> not, not very mellow. <laughs> very, very mellow. Things don't really happen here. Um, and, you know, like our no joke when I moved here like t- nearly 12 years ago, like I remember being in North America and the news was always so hectic, like so-and-so died. There was this, there was that, blah, blah. There was always something happening. And here it was like, there was a shark warning at so-and-so beach today. <laughs> you know, it's like it's very low-key. Um, so we don't get faced with this many situations. Um, and so when something does come up, I guess your guard's up a little bit. So first I want to share an example of um, something that happened as just after I'd moved here. Uh, we were living not where we are now. For the first three months, we lived elsewhere, which was um, a little bit more up and coming, aka ghetto than than where we are right now. I know Ishbri doesn't like the use of that word. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> So anyways, um, and uh, we were in an apartment block and we were on the third floor and uh, we could, it was like 10 p.m. in the middle of the week. And I don't remember all the details as much anymore because it was a very long time ago. But I just remember we heard some screaming and some like voices from the middle of the road. So we look outside and we see that there is a man pushing or hitting or I don't remember the visuals at this point but basically assaulting a woman which looked to be either his partner or somebody so Govin my husband immediately goes um he yells out he's like hey what are you doing and uh the guy was just you know just ignored it and he's like hey we're watching you and we're calling the police and so Govin goes to me he's like you keep yelling out to them so he knows somebody's watching and I'm gonna run downstairs so it was three floors down so he ran downstairs And uh, went out there. But while he was going out there and I'm yelling out, I could hear all the neighbors in the dark, in their windows, commentating to one another, like amongst whoever is in their own apartment. And they're saying, oh, look what he's doing now. Oh, he's pushing her. They're like giving each other the play by play. Yet nobody said anything. Not a single person. Not a single person. And this is a pretty large apartment block. Um, So he went down there and, you know, all he did was stand in the middle. He's like, what's going on? So, you know, just like small talk. But the fact that somebody else was present and willing to call this guy out, he stopped assaulting this woman. We had called the police by then. And I don't remember how this ended out, ended up police, blah, blah. But him simply just standing there in the middle. He stood in the middle of the room and just started making small chat like, hey, what's going on? Uh, 
what are you guys doing here? And just little things like that. He's like, you know what I saw upstairs, right? And he was just like, no, no, we're just talking. We're just talking or whatever. And he's like, well, you can explain that to the police then, (laughs) you know, just like really casually being calm about it. Um, Whereas like, you know, this guy, because he's obviously gotten used to doing things like this in the middle of the road and nobody's saying anything that he thought it was okay to do that because literally, you know, this would have been, I don't know, like 30 apartments that that would have had, uh, you know, a view of this that said nothing. Jeez. So, yeah, just uh, little things, just basically calling out, letting letting the, the perpetrator know that the victim is not alone is, is just a simple way of um, stopping this sort of incidents. Um, now, fast track to two weeks ago. I don't know what was going on. But it was a weird week. And uh, Colby, my business partner, and I have this really weird, funny joke. And Ishbri, you probably know what this all means. But anytime, like, it's just a weird, <laughs> weird sort of week, we're like, oh, yeah, Mercury must be in retrograde. We don't know. What- <laughs> we just have a laugh about it because we're like, yeah, whatever that means. Yeah, I mean, that basically just means that, like, shit's hitting the fan yeah. and there's <laughs> nothing we can do about it. Yeah. We always, like, touch base at the beginning of the I. week. I.e. life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Mercury must have been in retrograde retrograde that week <laughs> um sure yeah yeah but um so I my studio is from home it's in it's um in our uh garage which is on on the ground lower level and um so I was I was working by myself that day and it was like in the afternoon and I I don't know just a day and I could hear oh Aisha, I haven't I haven't given you this story before so anyways hmm. Uh, we're sitting downstairs, I'm sitting downstairs and I hear this child screaming, like crying, right? So, you know, I've got a four-year-old son, he has tantrums. I'm like, yep, it's just having a a kid having a tantrum. It's all good. And then it went on for a while. So I started listening and you could hear, I could hear the kid going, mom, open the door and just saying mom and screaming and screaming. And I was like, hang on a sec. Something in me was like, whoa, what if my kid had been like, distress you're in a situation like it's been 10 minutes now this happening and if my child had been like that and nobody did anything I'd be heartbroken like we live in Bondi there's so many people here and like nobody's saying anything about this you know like what if he was being like kidnapped or I don't know we live it's like apartment living here like what if somebody's like I don't know being tortured or something you know your mind just right. as a as a parent goes there so I went outside and I started walking, trying to follow the noise. And I get there and I see this apartment, like I could see into the lobbies and I could see the kid had was sitting in the lobby area and knocking on the door saying, I'm hungry, mom, let me in and screaming. And I was, and I started trying to buzz to get them to open the door. And I actually know the neighbor of this person and immediately, as soon as I like it registered, I'm like, oh, that's, that's um, my friend's autistic neighbor. And and as soon as it clicked, he came downstairs and he must be like, I don't know, he must be like five or six. I'm not sure. He um, came downstairs and it was like immediately he was like, hi, how are you? Uh, do you want what are you doing here? Like he went from one end of the spectrum to the next. Gotcha. and was just like, yeah. And was like, oh, this is my boogie board. And just like, what are you doing here? And then I was like, oh, I just like heard you. And he was just like, yeah, I, you know, I just want to uh, something. I can't remember what he said, but it, he was totally mm. chilled. And um, I saw the mom open up the door and she immediately was, she looked broken and she was like, he's autistic. Aww. I'm dealing with it. And I was like, oh my God, no. She's like so apologetic. And I was like, I can't even imagine. I was like, I'm friends with your neighbor. Like I just heard him from down the road and, you know, I, I just wanted to make sure everything was okay. I'm like, so sorry. I don't mean to, cause she just like looked 
like yeah. you know somebody was trying to like give her you know you know what I mean like parents yeah just give, you know she, yeah and I was like whoa so it came back I was like couldn't even imagine being in that situation so I guess it was a little bit like already kind of you were hyped. just being cautious that's all cautious because like I think when you're a parent you just like put yourself in that situation like what if that was my child um Absolutely. and so that happens and then the next day we I'm wondering like no I'm gonna be candid about this actually I'm not gonna I'm not gonna censor this for mm. you know for the sake of our community because <laughs> I right. feel like everybody needs to be aware so we uh, we were at the temple this is Saturday um afternoon and at the Gurdwara which is um the Sikh temple and um, it was in the afternoon, but not quite that busy. But there were still a couple hundred people there. Like this, the temple in Sydney is quite large. And uh, we were sitting in the back. And um, I mean, this temple can fit several thousand people sitting down. So it's it's, it's big. We're about to go. And um, I'm sitting on one side and save us. And my son is just walking back and forth between my husband and I because the men sit on one side and the women sit on the other. And um I see this woman. So halfway down the hall to the left is an exit to go to the elevators. So there's this other child running around. And so he, his mom's like, they're all leaving or something. I don't, I don't, I wasn't paying attention to what happened. But all I know is the kid was grabbing her shirt and she, this still bothers me so much. She had like a really large tote Mm. and um, she swung her full body weight with her tote and smack the kid with her full bag into the head so much so that he fell about a meter and a half from her and was screaming, screaming. And then the grandmother grabs him by the arms and drags him into the elevator. (laughs) It like literally drags him in. And that's horrible. And I look around and nobody's done anything. And I, I just remember just after this incident of yesterday, I was just like, you know, there's people who struggle. I was like, thank goodness my, my child's healthy, right? Like, I can't even imagine having an autistic child, you know, on top of already trying to be a parent. And then you have this mm. woman who has a perfectly well, you know, healthy young boy. And she like she, she's like in public nearly giving the kid a concussion. And he's screaming mm-hmm. in pain. And, you know, later I found out he was four years old. Like, I thought he was oh older. Goodness. He was four years old. So anyhow, this isn't even like the worst part. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, holy smokes. Look at this woman. Just She just like assaulted this child and nobody has done anything. And I remember just like the words that I remember that went into my head. And it was like, you are a coward if you do not get up. So mm-hmm. I was enraged. I got up, went to the elevator. And it's so dramatic because the elevator was shutting. I pressed the button. It <laughs> opened back up. And I was like, you do not hit a child. And she goes, I know. And I was like, well, then why did you hit him? You're an adult. Use your words. And so they closed the elevator and they went down. And I was like furious. And maybe this is like the toned down version of it. But regardless, like I was just raging at this point because uh-huh. I just witnessed her like literally assault this poor helpless child, a woman who was double strength and size to a helpless, regardless of how naughty he was being, you know, if he was or wasn't, I didn't witness that. But like she is double his size and she whacked him with a full bag, so much so he flew like a meter and a half from where she was standing. And he was like screaming in pain. So I go downstairs and uh, we're, we're the Lunger Hall where like the communal kitchen is downstairs. And we were going to stay and then we decided not to. So, you know, and meanwhile, my husband was just like, well, what happened? Because he only saw me yelling at her. 
<laughs> see the rest. So I told him, I was like, this is what she just did. And he was like, good on you. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, I can't believe like she think that that's okay. Like, imagine what she does at home if she's doing this in public. I was like, I know, it's right. crazy. So we were going to meet downstairs in Lunger Hall. And then he, you know, he was just like, no, let's just go. Like, I want to go, whatever, whatever. So I'm about to come out and I see her again, about to hit her child again downstairs, like grabbing him. Oh, my God. So I stopped and I look at her. And in the meantime, her sister, her mom, her and one other older lady come at me, like come stand right at me. They're like, who are you to say anything to her? This is our family matter. And they're like, she's been crying here because you yelled at her. And I was like, yeah, because she can't hit a child, you know? When you yelled, when you called it, called her out for Ex- smacking her kid in the head with a tote bag at the elevator. Yes. Yeah. No. She so was crying about that. She was crying about that. Exactly. You know, like, uh, why don't we think about the kid for a second who, you know, you actually assaulted, who you actually hurt physically. <sighs> so... Now this gets escalated because this her sister now is swearing at me um, and they're saying this in, in Punjabi and she's, um, you know, pretty much saying, who do you think you are? You can't get involved in our family matters. And then it es- and she's she's got like a three or four month old baby in her hand, by the way. Um, and so she goes to me. And it's ridiculous because I grew up in a very Punjabi family as well. And uh you know, she goes to me. She's like, we're you- very passionate people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, I know how to get down with it and, and be be to that level if I want to. So she goes to me. She goes to me. If you ever look at my sister again, I'm going to break your legs. So the threats start. And I look at her. I was like, I'm looking at her now. What are you going to do? And I could and I heard myself and I was like, no, I was like, no, it's like, try me, bitch. <laughs> And I was like, no, I've got to kill them with kindness. Like, it's not going to change the dialogue if I don't stop. Like, if I talk to them on the same level, nothing's going to be accomplished here. So, and I said to her, I was like, look, I have a child myself. Like, you just can't use physical strength on a child. You have to use your words. And and they're like, what? So you've never hit your child? And I was like, no, <laughs> you know. And uh, and they're like, what? So you've never been hit before? I was like, no, it's illegal no. in Canada. I'm from Canada. Then they're like, oh, so now you think you're better than us because you're from Canada. And then, you know, I was wearing jeans that day. And then it gets about, oh, do you think you're more religious than us and you've got jeans on. I was like, what do my clothes have to do with the fact that you just knocked out a child? So I'm like talking to their mom now and she's just like, oh, she's just angry. So it kept going again and again. She just kept saying, you know, if you don't get involved in our family matters, if you ever say anything in, I'm going to break your legs. And then she shoved me. So at this point, the, the mother was just like, she's just angry, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I understand that. But the simple matter is that if I was social services, I would have taken your child away. And they're like, no, this is the Gurdwara. It would never. So she's like, this is a temple. That would never happen. And they all walked away. And this is a summarized version, guys. Like, this went on for a really long time. Anyway, so I leave. And meanwhile, Govin's just like, well, what are you, where have you been? And do you know when you, like, I, I, you hold it together. And the minute you see, like, a, like your comfort zone, you just break down. So we're in the parking lot. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just bawling. I was like, oh, my God, this just happened to me. And so he was like, what? 
what? And he was like, hits you. It, yeah. it, the, the overwhelming nature of it all just hits you. And you're like, shit, did I seriously just experience all of this? Absolutely. And also because like you're, I was trying so hard not to be emotional and be rational. And, get and them to, to keep see, it together. Keep it together and get them to see like, for me, I, I feel a really strong responsibility wearing a turban, being a turban Sikh to like, you know, not give anybody a reason to that we already get lumped into such a like, oh, you guys think you're this, you guys, which, you know, is a dialogue I'm not, I'm not a fan of. So I didn't want to give her like any ammunition, uh, you know, I mean, ammunition against, against me or, you know, cause I'm not there that often. So they would have been like, oh, you guys, blah, blah, blah to anybody else who goes there regularly. So Right. I just wanted You're to like, keep let it- me just keep it as classy as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like there's no other word for it. They were like Punjabi hillbillies. Like right. <laughs> there's no other word for them. So anyways, we came outside um, and I've obviously like Telly Govan this and he was like, this is ridiculous. She cannot threaten you like that. So he was like, tell me who they are. And I was like, no, I just want to go home. I just want to leave. Like, let's just go. I, I don't want to make a big deal out of this. And he was like, and Seva, our four-year-old, he's like, what happened, mom? And I was like, oh, my God, because I really, like, try to keep any sort of these, like, issues or anything that I might be facing, you know, because I don't want to put them on to him. But I just couldn't control it at that point. He's like, what happened, mom? And then he's like, what did she say? And Govin's like, show me who they are. I'm going to go talk to the committee. And I was like, no, no, it's fine. Like, I'm not going back in there. And Seva grabs my hand. He's like, come on, mom, just show dad who they are. And he's four years old, you know? What and, a freaking cutie. Uh, yes. So we start walking uh, towards and I pointed them out through the window. I'm like, they're those guys, but don't engage with them directly. And Seva was so funny. He was just like, uh, he's like, I'm going too, mom. And I was like, no, no, Seva, like, come stay with me. And he's like, no, I'm going. I was like, do you want YouTube? He's like, okay. <laughs> like, literally forgot about what happened. Kids. Um, anyways. Screw your trauma. Yeah. Hell yes to YouTube. Yeah, pretty much. Um. Long story short, uh, Govin sat down with the committee, ended up being like six people there. So when he went and found somebody who manages the temple, um, he was like, oh, these guys are related to one of the committee members. So this is going to get like pretty escalated. He's like, I could care less. Let's let's do it. So, you know, he sat down with the committee members and they were very blase about it. They're like, oh, this is their family matter. And Govin's like, no, it's not. This is a legal matter. And if you're going to, you know, enable this illegal activity, then the Gordora is liable to be reported for this. And he basically said, to them that if you do not do anything about this, we a will call social services and be press charges for assault and threatening to break my wife's legs. Like simple as that. Right. The only reason we're already not taking legal action is because this is a temple. So you need to see the severity of this. So he called it. The, they called the two elder ladies in, and um, they denied everything until you know Govin was just like. Did she or did she not say she was going to break my wife's legs? He's like, forget the fact that, you know, that you knocked out the child, which is illegal. We can take the kid away. Uh, Did she or did she not do that? And they admitted it. Um, And so 45 minutes later, you know, I was sitting in the car waiting and the Gordura, the temple had said that they're going to speak to them and let them know the severity of this. So we haven't followed up on it as yet, but that's what kind of got this whole dialogue going for me, this whole thought process. I just couldn't believe what I had processed. And like in all of this, we had nothing to gain or lose from this. You know, it wasn't my child. It was not my place or anything, as you would normally say. But an innocent child was um, being victimized. And what Mm. again and again kind of played through my mind was the fact that if 
they can do this in public. What is she doing to him at home? Like she's can give him severe brain damage if she's doing this on a regular basis and he's four years old. And then the second part of it was that they tried to intimidate me. They tried to kind of be thugs and be like, this is our sort of like tariff or, you know, who do you think you are? Blah, blah, blah. And, um, and you know, if we hadn't done anything, if Govan hadn't intervened and gone and sat down with the committee members, like all six of them and, and, you know, explain to them the severity of this, this was going to keep going on because already a couple hundred people sitting upstairs said nothing. And now if the organization itself isn't doing anything, it just creates this um, sort of micro world where all I just want to clarify because I remember when you first shared this experience with me, I hadn't realized that um, the mother hitting the four-year-old in the head with the tote bag happened in front of an entire congregation. It, it was this a, wasn't. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, I don't think full... that was very clear. And that's, that's, that's the mind boggling part of all of this is that exactly many people witness this. Exactly. And nobody said anything, but now I feel like me having gotten up and kind of calling her out in front, regardless of what transpired downstairs, but you know, now people will, will be aware that, hey, we need to speak up if somebody does something like this. Or, you know, if I am in the habit, because they say they're like, oh, these are our habits, you know, we're, we're from India. And it was like, well, you're not in India anymore, you know, is what Govind said to these older ladies. And and he's like, you're not in India anymore. And she's like, or something or another. And she's like, well, we've been here 40 years. And he's like, you think you would have learned by now. Like, you can't right. do this. You can't hide in your bubble and think this is all okay. This is illegal activity. Like, also, you- it just, it doesn't matter where you're from. No. It's, it, there's just this, um, this kind of um, trending topic throughout um, all sorts of societies where we're lacking morality as, um, you know, an entire people. And, Um, We just don't care about what happens to the people around us. And we only care for ourselves or, um, you know, the people that are directly related to us. Self-serving. It's like this we're we're in this like culture of being so self-serving that, you know, if we see something wrong happening, it's like not our place. And um, I I just want to say another thing, too, that after all this happened and even downstairs as these women are like literally attacking me, but I was keeping it together and one of them like pushed me with a child in her hand Um, as we left because I'm like bawling and I'm pointing them out in the window. There was another um, another uh, sing out um, outside and he was just like, uh, Benji, like, oh, what happened? And I told him what happened. Um, and he was like, yeah, you, you were fine inside. I was like, yeah, I was fine. Like, everything's fine. I'm ju- I'm not like upset or like, I'm not like threatened or frightened or anything. I'm just like, you know, just like, I can't stop. It's just coming out now. It's just, just a little distraught. It's a bit shocking. And he goes to me right. and he's got two children with him. Um, you know, they, they would have been toddlers as well. Like, you know, probably preschoolers and maybe kindergarten. And he's got them with him. And he was just like, yeah, he goes to me in Punjabi. He's like, yeah, you just can't say anything to anyone these days. Uh, as in like, you know, you shouldn't have said anything that's so crazy that they did that and I was like yeah you can because it's illegal what she did Mm. is illegal and it's our responsibility to say something and he's like yeah I guess but you know since this grown man with kids of his own you know and what what, I mean sidebar interjection guys we wear a turban for a reason 
And mm. I don't mean to be like going on to a religious rant here at all. That's never my intention. But, you know, I, I started wearing the turban in my late in my late teens. And it, it the, the whole purpose of it was... <laughs> It's a reminder of your moral compass. It's and it's an identity that you know when when there was so much unjust in in the region that we were given a physical identity that people in need could spot somebody with the turban and be like that is somebody who can help me, Absolutely. which is really powerful. You know because when so much unjust was happening, so much like disorder and just craziness was taking place during the Mughal Empire in the late 1700s, there was a dialogue that happened of like, who did the Sikh step up? And and it was like, well, you couldn't tell who was a Sikh. And that's when we were given this very physical, visible identity. So, I mean, if anybody is listening to this that does have a turban, guys, like, come on now. It's not a fashion accessory. It's not just like a, a a safety net. And it's not just something you do to stay in your comfort zone. Like, step up to what you're wearing. You know, that's sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was that was my, I guess, story. Uh, very disturbing um, story that really shook me to my core. It really did. And I had to check myself because... For a split second there, because I did grow up in a very Punjabi community, um, for a split second, I nearly did nothing. And I mm. really had to check myself. It was like, I, I said, you know, I thought to myself, like, have I become that desensitized that this is normal? And just because of like what I'd experienced yesterday, the day before with the autistic child, I don't know, it, it just, it, there was something in me that said that you're a coward if you don't step up and, and you know, give this child a, a, some sort of hope. Because at this point, you know, she's, who knows what's happening um, and who knows what's happening behind closed doors. But at least now they've kind of had a serious talking to of the severity of what they're doing and hopefully they'll change their actions going forward. Um, so that's, that's... You've got the ball rolling at least. I mean, you can't change their entire life around no. and offer them with all the solutions that they need. But you've at least... Um, you know, um, got the ball rolling of this dialogue in their household, which I think is huge as well. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully anybody who witnessed it, you mm -hmm. know, even if they simply stop doing it from the fear of somebody's going to call them out, that's a step in the right direction. Um, Absolutely. And, and so I was sharing the story because I told Ishbreed about it like straight away. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you're not going to believe what happened. Um, but I also shared it. Was, it, it was truly traumatic though. I mean, just even hearing it, I, I was bawling myself. Yeah. I was like, this is just such a sad, sad situation. And it happens all too often. Way too often. That's, that's the confronting part. And that was what, you know, it was like, I can't believe how desensitized I've become to this, you know. Um, so it was really about checking myself. So the following, uh, a little while later, I was sharing it with um, a friend of mine, um, a neighbor, and she shared something with me. She's just like, you know, we just do nothing. Like people are so used to not doing anything. And that's, that's when we, I started looking into the bystander effect, actually. So she works in the city in downtown. And she was saying, I don't know, I can't remember the details of what she was doing, but she was uh, out for lunch or something or another and for some reason she saw people walking past again and she she noticed this elderly man across the street sitting on the ground and she said something about him just looked distraught and so she crossed over and, and went to him and said I excuse me can I help you um with anything and this very elderly man said I just can't get up he's like I was mm. walking and 
and I just need to get up. That's all. I just didn't want to trouble anybody. So yeah. people just assumed he was homeless or whatever else. It was not their problem. Meanwhile, this man had been sitting for, he said he'd been sitting for 15 minutes, if I recall correctly. But he'd just been oh, sitting there geez. and he physically could not get up onto his feet you know that's that's yeah. all he needed somebody to give him an, like physically a lending hand to stand up <laughs> and and it's just like we've become so desensitized where you know if it's like if it's not in our immediate sort of bubble if it has nothing to do with us then it's not our problem which is mm-hmm. confronting um yeah so so what's what's the issue and what's the solution so issue and I were talking about this, um, about, you know, there's so there's some articles we have found, um, ones that explain what the bystander effect is and others are there's one it's it's um, our power is active bystanders. And I'm just going to read you an excerpt from that. And it's saying simply being aware of this tendency is the greatest way to break the cycle. So that's what we hope to achieve here. We just want you to be aware that our minds, um, the bystander effect occurs when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in an emergency situation. So literally just the presence of other people is going to make you less likely and please have a read of these articles because it shows like different situations like if you're in a room with two people you're more likely to intervene if you're in a room with five people you're less likely 30 people it's like not your problem there it's broken down science of how our mind reacts and how the more people there are the less likely like the you know so it's just like the diffusion of responsibility and that we look for cues from others um you know to hear what they should do or what we should do and whatnot so just being aware. I agree. I, yeah. I I totally agree with you. I think that awareness is um, the very first step in the solution to um, situations where um, the bystander effect is happening. And just being aware um, helps because you don't necessarily always have to be a hero in these types of situations. Absolutely. You can also be the person who is simply calling 911 and Agreed. calling people who do this for a living. Agreed. Yep. And that's what it says in these articles as well. It's like, don't necessarily put yourself in harm's way, but y- 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 they're really great articles. And I encourage you guys to um, head over to um, internish.com and we'll have all these in the show notes. Um And, you know, it just says that if you are the victim, for instance, one of the ways of uh, getting more help is singling one person out. So rather than it being in a circle or a crowd, there's loads of people around where they're all kind of like thinking it's somebody else's responsibility. If you make eye contact with one person, they're more likely to act with, you know, feeling responsibility to act in the right way to help you because you've singled them out. Now, all of a sudden, mm. it is a responsibility because you've simply made eye contact with them. So that's from from a from a, I guess, a, a victim's perspective. Um, but yeah, have have a read through these because it just I'll give you there's a how to overcome the bystander effect. There is um, this article's got seven points. Uh, I'm just going to read the headings because we're not going to we're going to wrap it up soon. Um, so one of the things I that will increase the likelihood of, you know, helping others is one is witnessing helping behavior. So by yourself helping somebody, you're actually encouraging others to step up and making that a normal uh, behavior. Uh, Being observant. So just know what's happening around you, you know, just uh, don't just turn away and pretend like, oh, I didn't hear it. It's none of my, it's not my problem. Um, 
you know, if it's an ambiguous situation, just be be a little bit more observant so you can determine what what needs to happen there. Um, hey, did anybody else just notice that happening? You know, it's, it's it's as simple as pointing it out. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, this one's saying being skilled and knowledgeable. Oh, what's it saying? Something about CPR training could help you feel more competent and prepare to deal with potential <laughs> emergencies. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm reading this at the We're same time. We're not going to ask all of our viewers <laughs> to go and get CPR no. certified now. <laughs> yeah. uh, guilt. Y'all can um, do that on your own time. <laughs> yeah. Number five, having a personal relationship. Six, seeing others as deserving of help. That's a really, really important one. Um, everybody is deserving of help. Uh, so, yeah. So the minute you start observing every single person around you as somebody who needs help, you're more likely to do something about it rather than be like, oh, yeah, they probably deserve it or something. Because that's not your judgment call to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and feeling good. So, you know, as a result of all this, we do feel a little bit righteous and good, you know, <laughs> helping, doing our part. Um, so use that as, ammuni- you know, as motivation, if you may- must. Um, uh, to to do the right thing. So that's wow. That's that's me there. <laughs> yeah. Any parting thoughts, Ishbreen? Uh, no. Uh, just that we should all start caring as a society as a whole. Um, and caring doesn't have to be this huge um, heroic act. It can be as small as just asking someone how they're doing today. And um, yeah, I'm really happy that we touched base on this very important topic, something that every one of us experiences on the daily. I agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, guys, if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, comment, and head over to innerinish.com to find out all the details from pa- this episode and past episodes. Um, hope you guys have a fabulous week, and we'll chat to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.